Wow, so good to be with you today. And I just want to welcome you whenever, wherever you're watching. We just would like you to know that we love you. And we're praying for you every single day during this pandemic. And if there's anything we can do to help, please reach out to us. Or if you're in Hong Kong, why don't we just meet up for a chat over coffee or tea? I'd love that. Now, I know that many of you are going through stressful, even traumatic times. If not you personally, then someone you know. In the 21-day devotional series on post-traumatic growth that we finished last weekend, we've followed stories of trauma and growth that, that have come from those of us at the Vine who, who've experienced this themselves and who've courageously shared their stories. These stories have really challenged me and helped me to grow because I had the honor of collecting them. Along with the sermons in the last month, these stories have helped all of us look at the pandemic, at trauma in new ways. Now, if you haven't had time to, to read all of these, please go to our website and finish reading the ones you missed. Now today, this is the final in our seven-week series on post-traumatic growth, how God uses the most stressful and painful times in our lives to draw us closer to Him and to each other. A quick review. Week one, wounds and scars. The first week, Andrew set the stage for this series with Thomas meeting Jesus after witnessing the incredible trauma of the crucifixion. Jesus shows traumatized Thomas and us how deep and painful wounds can become scars of healing and growth. Week two, trauma can help us see new possibilities. After Peter's massive meltdown at the crucifixion, Jesus helped Peter over breakfast on the beach to find forgiveness, to have his career transformed. We too, with Jesus, we can move forward after massive setbacks and failures to have our lives and careers transformed. And trauma can change our relationships with others. Remember week three, a few years back, Andrew was having panic attacks, was ready to resign. He shared the story of the woman who was healed after 12 long years of trauma when she had the courage to reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' cloak and to step out of the crowd and, and tell her story. The same can happen to us when we reach out to Jesus and acknowledge our suffering and trauma to those closest to us. Two weeks ago, Ellison helped us to see how with Jesus at our side, even demons and monsters can be defeated. We can begin to experience joy. Maybe we can even laugh in the midst of this pandemic that never, never seems to go away. And we can share the joy of the healing and growth Jesus brings 
with the people around us, the people who see little reason for hope. Last Sunday, Andrew tried to convince us that we can grow in our personal strength through the even the worst kind of trauma, persecution, torture, even imprisonment, and in other kinds of trauma as well. And through God's Spirit in us, we can gain personal strength that not even death or the gates of hell can destroy. Wow. Did Andrew convince you? Now, if you missed any of these messages, you can watch them on YouTube, Facebook, or you can listen to them on our website in a podcast. Now, that brings us today to the seventh and final in the post-traumatic growth series, how trauma forces us to ask the most fundamental questions about the meaning of life and faith and often leads to significant, sometimes even dramatic spiritual change. We're looking today at trauma and spiritual change with a familiar character, Saul or Paul, depending whether you want the Hebrew or Greek version of his name. Paul was sure Jesus was not the Messiah. That was clear. God's chosen person to fulfill the vision of the prophets, to fulfill God's promises, no. Jesus could not be the Messiah. He did not show the proper respect for the law of Moses. He didn't even begin to break the Jewish people free from Roman enslavement and humiliation. In fact, the hated Roman colonizers supervised the crucifixion of Jesus. (laughs) Along with a couple of thieves, thugs. No, no. Jesus could not be the long-awaited Messiah. And believe me, Paul would know. This is how he described his credentials some years later. In the book of Philippians, he said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, hey, I obeyed the law without fault. Wow. So Paul, along with other opponents of Jesus who helped to get him killed, was on the defensive. Crucifixion should have ended it because Jesus was clearly a heretic who deserved to die. Jesus was on the wrong side of Jewish law, and God needed Paul as a defender of the faith. But how can people hatch the ridiculous conspiracy theory that Jesus has come back to life since the crucifixion? That's ridiculous. So why are thousands of people becoming followers of Jesus after he is very clearly dead? Now, put yourself in Paul's shoes. Maybe he's feeling a little bit of jealousy at Jesus' continuing popularity. 
I'm wondering if Paul was experiencing stress, anxiety, in spite of his rock-hard conviction, Paul could be increasingly torn up inside. He cannot ignore all the talk about the fantastic miracles Jesus did. And just recently, Paul watched as Stephen, a young disciple of Jesus, was stoned to death. It was bloody mob violence, and Paul was right there applauding. Paul knew it was the right thing to do. It was what the law of Moses required. But it was a gut-wrenching, god-awful thing to watch. A man dying under a hail of stones. And yet Stephen was peaceful as he died. He claimed to have a vision of Jesus in heaven being in a place of highest honor. And Stephen had a look of joy on his face as he said his last forgiving words. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Paul is haunted by those last words. Forgiveness, God, don't blame these men for what they're doing. Surely Stephen was the one to blame, not him. Paul was doing the will of God. And Jesus, in a place of highest honor in heaven, unthinkable. But Stephen seemed so confident of what he was seeing as he died. And how could he be so forgiving? What if Stephen was right? No way. For Paul, this was an impossible thought. Now, in spite of the reality, Jesus, the Jesus movement is spreading like wildfire since Stephen's death. And Paul now is headed from Jerusalem to Damascus to arrest and imprison Jesus followers who escaped Jerusalem and are now sharing this, this poisonous message about Jesus. This must be stopped. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 9. Beginning at the beginning of the chapter. Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As Paul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up 
and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Paul can see nothing, but he is beginning to see everything. His mind is filled with the vision of what he saw, and it was the same vision Stephen saw. Jesus is now in a place of highest honor with God in heaven. That glorious vision blinded Saul physically, but began to open his spiritual eyes. You are persecuting me, Paul. Paul is stunned. He has been doing God's will, but Jesus is telling him that he, Paul, is totally, absolutely wrong. Everything Paul believes about Messiah is wrong. Paul's passion to purify the people of God is causing him to go against God in an instant. It dawns on Paul, I am torturing God's very own son. Last Sunday, Andrew talked about persecution. When people attack us because of our faith in Jesus, he takes that real personally. They're not just attacking us. They are attacking Jesus. And he's right there with us in our discomfort and pain. Jesus died for you and me. And he continues to suffer with us even in this pandemic. Well, back to our story. What Stephen saw as he was dying, Paul saw in a flash of light. He saw Jesus, and Jesus spoke his name. Jesus invited Paul in the worst trauma of his life to rethink his core beliefs and his prejudices about Jesus. Paul now realizes Stephen didn't deserve to die. Paul had helped to execute an innocent man. What an awful thing. Peter and John and the other leaders that Paul hated, they are right. He is wrong. The people in Damascus, he is ready to arrest. They are innocent and he, Paul, is guilty. Paul should be arrested. Not the Jesus followers in Damascus. This is like finding out all at once that your politics is wrong, your theology is screwed up and needs a total makeover, and that your current career is like a total disaster. You're not just a failure. You, you are abusing people 
and dishonoring the God you serve. Well, let's pick up the story in Damascus. Paul is blind. He's very hungry and very thirsty. Three days. God has asked a man named Ananias to go see Paul. Acts 9, 13, I'm reading from the message. Ananias protested, <laughs> naturally, Master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem, and now he's shown up here with papers from the, high, the chief priest that give him license to do the very same thing to us in Damascus. But the master said, don't argue, Ananias, go. I have picked Paul as my personal representative to Gentiles and kings and Jews, and now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with this job. So Ananias went, found the house, placed his hands on blind Saul and said, Brother Saul, the master sent me, the same Jesus you saw on your way here. He sent me so you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could, he could see again. He got to his feet. He was baptized and sat down with them for a hearty meal. Well, perhaps you know the rest of the story. Paul, the, the zealous persecutor of Jesus' followers, became a passionate Jesus promoter and, and church planter. His trauma led to an incredible transformation of Paul's life and career. You know trauma does this to people today. Some years back, before I met my wife, Chris, before she was a Christian, her mom's family was traumatized by a tragic bus accident right here in Hong Kong. Her mom's coat caught in the door of the bus as she was getting off, and she was dragged under the bus. The bus ran over her leg. Doctors weren't sure Chris's mom would live, and if she did, she would certainly lose her leg. Traumatized by the likelihood that her mom would never perhaps walk again, Chris cried out to Jesus, I don't believe in you, Jesus, but, if, but if, if you heal my mother, I'll follow you. After two years in the hospital, 11 surgeries and skin transplants, Chris's mom walked out of the hospital and Chris became a follower of Jesus. I'm hugely glad that Chris experienced spiritual change through trauma because otherwise she wouldn't be my wife. Uh, we won't discuss the occasional trauma she still experiences uh, being married to me. <laughs> and you've been reading 
the stories in our January devotionals about how many of us Vine people have experienced deep spiritual change through trauma. Whether we're Christians or not, this pandemic has caused many of us to ask big questions. Where is God in all this turmoil and confusion and suffering? Why doesn't a God of love step in to stop the, pan the pandemic? Our core beliefs have been challenged, sometimes shaken, with church buildings closed Many Christians are asking fundamental questions. What is the church? How does the church survive and thrive when we can't gather in a building? How will we do church differently after this pandemic? We may be asking even deeper questions about our relationships, our marriage, the family, about how we do our work, about schools and education, about how we run our businesses? How can we manage our careers with everything so messed up? And some of us are, are probing even deeper, why am I even here? Why do I get up in the morning? Every day seems the same. Why do I do what I do? What's it all about? After Paul met Jesus, he had to spend three years in the desert figuring out what this meant for him personally, for his understanding of, of the Hebrew Bible, what it meant for his life and career. But Jesus was with Paul in that journey every step of the way through the presence and power of the Spirit. Paul was not on his own. Throughout his teaching and writing ministry, the presence and work of God's Spirit was always front and center, I should say, deep within Paul. Paul reflects back on this experience some years later in one of his letters. This is Galatians chapter 1, starting with verse 13. I'm reading again from the message. I'm sure that you've heard the story of my earlier life when I lived in the Jewish way. In those days, I went all out persecuting God's church. I was systematically destroying it. I was so enthusiastic about the traditions of my ancestors that I advanced head and shoulders above my peers in my career. Even then, God had designs on me. Why, when I was still in my mother's womb, he chose and called me out of sheer generosity. And now God has intervened and revealed his son to me so that I might joyfully tell non-Jews about him. Paul's post-traumatic growth helped him understand God's purpose for his birth, his life in a new way. He was reading the same Hebrew Bible, but seeing it in a totally different light. He developed a new narrative, a new way of understanding his past, a new way of describing his way of life and career, a new way of teaching 
the scriptures he had learned to love when he was growing up as a boy. Now, Paul saw everything in the light of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, who is now everything to Paul. And for Paul, there's an amazing future awaiting him. He, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die? Why? That's even better. I believe God wants to bring deep spiritual change to you and to me, to us as a church during this pandemic. It won't be the same as it was for Paul. It's different for every person. But God wants us to meet Jesus in a new way, to be filled with his spirit so that as we examine our core beliefs and values and habits, we will reconnect with God's purpose for our lives, for our families, for our careers, God's purpose for our educational systems and businesses, God's purpose for our city, for our nation. If that happens, like Paul, we will never be the same again. And we will bring change to many others around us. We will bring change to our city and to our world. Now, this won't happen in an instant. It took Paul at least three years, indeed, the, the rest of his life to work out the full meaning of this profound spiritual change. But this pandemic is the place for us to begin. Everything has been turned upside down. This is our Damascus Road. And there are three simple but challenging steps we need to take. First of all, we need to meet Jesus. It begins for us, as it did for Paul, with a new encounter with Jesus and his spirit. To fall in love with Jesus, invite him to change you deeply from the inside out and to keep on doing it. Our deepest pleasure begins and ends with Jesus. Secondly, let's walk with Jesus to make our world better. Invite Jesus to walk with you to make you a force for good in your relationships, in your work, in your leisure time activities. For me, recently, I've been singing the words of an African-American spiritual as I walk the streets in Hong Kong. It was written by American slaves who may have suffered deeper and longer trauma than any group of people in human history. I want Jesus to walk with me, the spiritual goes Oh, I want Jesus to walk with me all along my, my pilgrim journey. I want you, Jesus, to walk with me. Three, 
share the gift God's Spirit has placed in you. You are a gifted child of God. You are endowed with a special talent and passion from God's Spirit living in you. There's no one like you. Discover and use that gift from the Spirit in new ways every day, every year. Your greatest joy will come when your deepest passion connects with the greatest hunger of people around you. You will truly feel God's pleasure. Now, friends, don't do this by yourself. Do it with family members, with friends, with your community group. If you want a mentor, a spiritual friend to walk with you, let us know. We're here to help. Now this brings us to the end of this series on growing through stress and trauma. But it's just the beginning of a new and challenging chapter in your life. Moving forward, we're going to keep on growing through this pandemic. As Paul discovered with Jesus, the best is yet to come. Not always the easiest, but the best. Well, I would like to invite you, if you would, to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm finding this pandemic really tough. There's so much fear and confusion, so much conflict and suffering. I'm asking hard questions about you, Jesus, about me, about my family, my career, about this city. I want to meet you, Jesus, in a fresh way. I want to discover again why you placed me here. I want to walk with you to bring positive change in my world. And I want to share by your spirit living in me. I want to share the gift and passion you placed in me to, to bring joy and blessing to my family, my friends, my colleagues. I want to feel your pleasure. Help me find at least one person to guide and support me on this exciting journey. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.